Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. This time, I want to talk about three essential components of a compliance program assessment. As you know, in the sentencing guidelines and in the guidance uh, most recently updated here in May of 2019 from our friends at the Department of Justice, there is a strong component that talks about the importance of having a periodic uh, review of your compliance program. And uh, a question often comes up, uh, well, I guess the threshold question is, uh, should that be a program review that is done internally versus externally. I've talked about this before. Uh, Most organizations still do this internally, at least uh, the most recent data I've seen, which is a couple years old now, uh, from uh, 2016, 2017 is the last uh, updated data I think I've seen on on this. Uh, Most organizations still uh, do this. And by most, I mean, you know, 70 plus percent organizations either do all or part of program review, program assessment, risk assessment, compliance risk assessment, whatever you want to call it, that periodic review that the sentencing guidelines talk about is done internally uh, and almost exclusively. Uh, So I I guess as a threshold question, do you uh, bring in outside um, counsel to do that? Well, I think there are two reasons why you might want to do that. One is if you uh, want to leverage the expertise and the methodology and the resources uh, of uh, outside um, personnel or an outside organization, a consultant, lawyer, uh, or whomever, expert, expertise, um, that's one reason. The second is just timing and project management. Like many things, most of the clients I work with, the reason why they're hiring me isn't because they couldn't write their own code of conduct or couldn't do their own program assessment or couldn't uh, undertake their own survey. It's because they just don't have the time or the project management resources to get it done in the time that they need to get it done. So I think those, that's the threshold. But assuming you're going to do it yourself or you're going to do it internally, uh, or assuming you're talking to a third party about doing uh, a uh, program assessment, what are three key things that you need to keep in mind? That's what I wanted to talk about today. Those three things I think are essential to any program assessment, program review, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think they all have to be there. If they're not, I think you're uh, getting a program review, periodic review of your program that is not really going to meet Uh, your expectations are certainly not meet the standards that are expected. And that's really the first one that I want to talk about is making sure that your assessment uh, aligns with the expectations and and sort of the basic expectation uh, comes out of the sentencing guideline standards out of 8B 2.1 of the uh, organizational sentencing guidelines. And I want to quote from uh, application note seven from the sentencing guidelines and in the show notes, I'll put a link to the online version of this. Uh, I think I've mentioned before that uh, it's important to read the application notes of uh, not only AB 2.1, but the other parts of the sentencing guidelines that apply 
uh, to compliance. And that's not the only one, by the way. There's uh, a couple other places in <clears throat> in uh, Chapter 8 of the Sentencing Guidelines that talks about uh, effective compliance programs. Uh, so looking at Application Note 7, which describes uh, this process, it, it, it says, assess periodically the risk that criminal conduct will occur including assessing the following. And remember, sentencing guidelines, we talked about this before when I've talked about the guidelines, the sentencing guidelines focus on criminal conduct. That's just the nature of the sentencing guidelines. But uh, as I read the rest of this, when I say criminal conduct, uh, think in your mind misconduct. Uh, because remember, the sentencing guidelines are the floor. They're the bare minimum uh, that an effective compliance program ought to have in place. Uh, so criminal conduct, uh, uh, is is the focus for the sentencing guidelines because that's what they apply to. They apply to criminal conduct. But um, when when we talk about these standards, you really ought to think about it. Uh, best practice to think about it is in the broader context of just misconduct. Um, so you act, assess periodically the risk that criminal conduct will occur, including assessing the nature and seriousness of that conduct, the likelihood that that conduct may occur because of the nature of the organization's business. So looking at your organization's profile, your, your kind of commercial risk uh, can also help you figure out your compliance risk. Uh, if there is a substantial risk that certain types of criminal conduct may occur, they should, the organization should take reasonable steps to prevent and detect, prevent and detect that type of conduct. Uh, the rest of sub two of this uh, uh, application note really addresses, really specifically addresses uh, antitrust or, or um, competition law. And I'm just going to read a little bit from sub three, the last thing I'm going to read here. The prior history of the organization should also be considered. The prior history of an organization may indicate types of conduct that it shall take actions to prevent and detect. Now, what does this all mean? Uh, this all dovetails with the guidance that we've heard recently, um, at least since uh, 2012 and before 2012 in uh, non-prosecution and deferred prosecution agreements from the Department of Justice, which is that we take a risk-based approach to our program. So what does that mean for assessment? That means that, number one, there needs to be some assessment of risk. Even if you don't call it a risk assessment, it may not technically be a risk assessment by some definitions. And I've even done a presentation on this before, I think at the SCCE is to discuss, you know, what, what it really is a risk assessment when you're talking about compliance. I wouldn't worry about definitions. I wouldn't worry about what you call this thing that you're doing, but the component of it needs to be assessing risk assessing the compliance risk that your organization faces. That's number one. And that assessment of risk uh, may be something as simple, and I've talked about this before, maybe something as simple as gathering the top, you know, uh, 100 uh, managers in your organization together or, or surveying the top 100 managers in your organization and figuring out uh, what their perceptions are. Uh, talking to operational management throughout your organization so that you have a strong picture of the risks that are face that your organization is facing. If you don't know the risks you're facing, then how can you possibly assess your program? It's not possible. So number one is some sort of risk assessment. And that might have been something that has been conducted in part or totally uh, by the enterprise risk uh, uh, processes in your organization or uh, internal audit or some sort of other uh, risk uh, review or uh, audit review. 
Uh, there might be components that you can draw on from other work that's been done. Certainly, that's that's part of it. But you need to have something uh, in an assessment that looks at the risks that you face as an organization and looks at your uh, your industry and, and and tries to make some connection between the risks that are faced, uh, the controls and the program that you have in place, and the relative uh, uh, effectiveness or non-effectiveness of those controls. So that's number one. To do number one and, and, and to also, I think, effectively uh, uh, review uh, not only the program itself, but the perception of your program and the perception of ethical culture in your organization, because remember, we're assessing compliance and ethics here. Uh, compliance and ethics are covered by the, the sentencing guideline standards. Compliance and ethics are covered by uh, the various guidance from DOJ and other regulatory authorities. So how do you measure that in an assessment? Well, you do that through data. You do that through surveys. You do that through focus groups. You do that through interviews. You do that through uh, getting feedback from the organization. That needs to be a component of an assessment. Uh, getting data that measures uh, or, or, or helps you measure or helps you get some indication of the relative uh, uh, perceptions around culture, perceptions around specific issues like reporting and retaliation. So you need some data around these things. So the second big piece, the thing that you really need to have to have a successful, uh, I think, a, a, a successful um, assessment of a compliance program is some sort of input uh, around, uh, around culture and around other aspects of your program. Uh, I'm not mentioning, for example, reviewing policies and procedures and looking at incident reporting and et cetera, because number one, I assume that's naturally going to be included in almost any kind of assessment because you're going to look at those critical pieces. You're going to pick up the different parts of the program and take a look at them. And you're going to look at the code. You're going to look at policies and procedures. But that's part of the data process, too. So when I say data, I mean gathering data on perceptions. Uh, so that's surveys, focus groups, interviews. Uh, gathering data on the state of the state. So that's going to be looking at policies, procedures, and re prior reports data, uh, monitoring system data, reporting data. Data, number two. And then the last piece that I think you really need to have a successful uh, compliance assessment is the output. And the output has to have actionable recommendations, actionable goals moving forward. I think um, I, I don't have a lot of vision on what uh, other uh, consultancies, particularly large consultancies, do when they go in and do consulting work for organizations on compliance and ethics, I, but I do have some vision on it. Uh, what I would look out for if you're working with third parties or what I'd look out for if you are uh, determining you want to do this on your, on your own or internally is uh, having a report that has a lot of findings, some of those findings may not be uh, so pleasant, but doesn't provide a roadmap to uh, provide to, to uh, ameliorating those, those issues or those problems or those uh, uh, pesky findings. Uh, you need to have some pathway forward. You need to have actionable recommendations. And by actionable, actionable recommendations, I mean uh, realistic. Uh, actionable recommendations. This is a big gap I see 
in a lot of uh, program assessment or benchmarking or risk assessment or whatever the heck you want to call it. You know, you know the title doesn't matter here, right? Um, one of the biggest deficits I see in, in the final output is, uh, is that there are not really uh, significant actionable recommendations. I'll give you a concrete example. Uh, you, as part of your assessment process, have uh, run a survey. And as part of that survey, you've asked the population if they are familiar with your code of conduct. And maybe you've asked them some qualitative questions around your code of conduct or written standards about whether they understand them or feel that they uh, are helpful. And you've gotten a significant negative response. So clearly, a actionable and, and I think pretty obvious recommendation moving forward is revise your code of conduct, have a communication and marketing effort to roll out your code of conduct, uh, your revised code of conduct so that your population knows about it. So uh, tying the findings, which are important and take a lot of work to get to in any kind of reporting uh, when you're assessing a program, tying those findings to actionable recommendations is really, really important. Uh, there's lots of other components, and, and I have a, done a couple other podcasts about this in the past, although it's been a while, and that's when I, why I wanted to re, 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 revisit it. So these three things aren't obviously the only things you need, but I think they are key components that if you do not have them, I'm not sure that you're really getting the bang for the buck that you uh, intend for your uh, uh, compliance assessment. Uh, you, you really need to assess risk in some way. It doesn't need to be a super detailed, formal, uh, uh, you know, um, all hands on deck uh, uh, ERM process, you know, rebuilding the wheel, you know, with uh, 50, 55 different heat maps for, you know, and, and, and looking at 75 potential risk topics and comparing and contrast. No, that's great if you have the resources to do it, but uh, it has to at least uh, uh, be... Uh, some sort of reasonable assay of what is going on in your organization, what risks you face, what compliance risks you face, uh, so that you can reasonably match that up against the program and make a determination about the relative uh, effectiveness of the controls and the tools and processes you have in place. And then the second thing is uh, really builds on that first piece, which is gathering data of all kinds, particularly data around culture and perception um, I think any assessment should have some sort of input uh, from the field. Uh, it would be great if that was a, a broad-based survey where you got a lot of uh, potential data, but sometimes that's not feasible and it has to be interviews. Uh, but I would encourage you if you're doing interviews, don't just interview legal, compliance, internal audit, HR, uh, you know, and the governance functions, the, 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 the corporate functions of the organization. Talk to operational uh, people. Uh, and get their input as well for that second piece, for that data piece. And then lastly, really important, on the back end, actionable, reasonable, realistic recommendations, a plan for the program to move forward. That's really important. So thanks for joining us again. Uh, I hope that your summer is going well. Ours is going well here. Uh, I've been hearing from some of you here recently, and I really appreciate that. Uh, if you've got questions or comments, uh, if you've got uh, ideas uh, that you'd like to see us explore in future 
editions of uh, the Compliance Beat podcast, please do get in touch at compliancebeat.com, moreheadconsulting.com, or you can email me directly at eric at moreheadconsulting.com. I love to hear from you. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast already on iTunes or whatever, uh, whatever method, whatever uh, uh, service tool you use to get, get to us, uh, please do. Um, if you are on iTunes and you care to comment, uh, obviously we like to uh, see that as well. Um, it really makes a difference when you do subscribe. Um, we really appreciate the support and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.